from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. Now, back in the earlier part of the week, I told you that we had a second surprise, and you're going to find out what it is today. But first off, I'm joined by Josh Webb. How you doing today, Josh? I'm good, buddy. I'm, I think I'm finally getting over this cold. Um, this crazy weather is probably going to make it come back. But uh, but no, I'm good. I'm enjoying some, some cold weather for a change, too. Well, we talked about the surprise josh in our facebook video it's time to release the beast and here's a surprise for the only x podcast jake latundras from latundras media is going to be joining us as a full-time co-host and jake's specialty is going to be talking about deer and fishing you know since the beginning people have always thought that on the x podcast was going to be specifically a duck and goose hunting show but now we're you know demand has driven us to go into deer fishing turkey this spring so jake say you've been on the podcast before so it's not like the people that are listening don't know who you are so but how you doing out in colorado buddy man i'm good rocky and josh thank you guys so much for inviting me to be on your on your podcast i really i'm honored to be here and i really appreciate it and as far as colorado goes man we just uh we got 10 inches of snow yesterday and it's been in single digit temperatures um so i've been uh trying to stay warm fighting the cold and trying to keep my kids happy while they're still out for christmas break which has been a challenge (laughs) you know josh and you can make a comment on this but when we were talking, Josh and I back and forth about bringing a deer expert on the On the X podcast with us, there was one name that we always came back to, and that that's Jake. I mean, Jake is one of the science-wise, I mean, the thing about it is Jake could talk about ducks, he could talk about deer, whatever it may be. But you spent so much time in the field, Jake, with some of the smartest people in deer hunting and picked up all this knowledge. Tell us a little bit about your history going back in deer hunting. Well, I think 
I mean, as far as a deer hunter goes, you know, I've been just like everyone else. I started out with my dad when I was a kid, and, of course, the passion grew. But professionally, um, I started in 2002, as as we've talked about in several podcasts before, with Jay Gregory. Uh, I bought a, you know, I was a photographer, and then I transitioned into videography. I bought a camera, and really, I, I filmed a hunt in 2002 and my very first ambition in this industry was to go after jay gregory and get on to his show called the wild outdoors i just thought it was the best show on earth and so you know really even being wet behind the ears at the time i've really learned what i know about deer hunting specifically and the experience that i have having been around jay which as you all know and everyone else does he's He's one of the world's experts on whitetail deer hunting with a, a bow and arrow in particular. You know, it was it was really cool. Of course, I had uh, I've, Jake and I have known each other for a few years now, but I someone that I've always looked up to since before I met him. Um, and it was really cool a few months ago when I actually got to to pull an article out of you. Um, and uh, I'm going to re reshare that article uh, and put it back in the newsletter uh, next week too. Somebody can see it and they kind of see that background that, that uh, I mean, you know, you, you set your eyes on something, you knew what you wanted to do, and you did it, and, and it takes takes guts to do that. Uh, and, man, it's just been a, it's been a lot of fun getting to know you. Uh, you know, I, I, I call you a friend, and I, I mean it very seriously when I do, um, but it's amazing being around somebody like you and being able to talk to somebody like you with the knowledge that you learned and 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 gained through all these years and with that being said we're going to dive into some some fun deer hunting topics that rocky has lined up for us um i don't uh what all did do you want to discuss in 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 this first you know you know deer focused podcast rocky because i know you got some well the first the first thing we got to talk about is our man joseph freshman at four corner properties now, Joseph is a real estate agent at Four Corner Properties. Joseph is the title sponsor of our podcast. And Joseph specializes in recreational property, uh, waterfowl, deer, and turkey property. Um, so if you're looking for a piece of property, you know, the thing that's cool about Joseph, just like he said the other day, if you already have an agent and you just need some information, give Joseph a call. Uh, he'd be happy to help in any kind of way, getting any kind of information to you, or you're getting ready to sell your property. Joseph can pretty much tell you what that property is worth. And Joseph works in Louisiana and Mississippi right now. He's getting, you know, he told Josh and I the other day that he's getting his license in Arkansas in the next couple of weeks, right, Josh? Yeah, he's at, he's in the the finishing stages of uh, of getting that so that he can. So that he can help out the you know the Arkansas crowd too, which is awesome, um, because they uh, you know they they've really grown. That business has really grown. Joseph's really grown. You know, Joseph was the 2016 Land Realtor of the Year in the state of Mississippi. Um, so it's been really cool to to see his to see his not only his personal growth but the growth of their company. And now to have them as our our title sponsor has been really really cool. Yeah, I mean if you need to get in touch with Joseph, Joseph is at 601. 540-7240. If you're looking for any property in Louisiana, Mississippi, or Arkansas, 
please give Joseph a call. I hung out with him. He grilled steaks for me last night at his camp right down the road. Joseph is a great guy. He just, you know, you saw him in the, our Facebook video commercial that we put up for Waterfowl Myths uh, yesterday, and Joseph is a really good guy. Just a great guy to deal with. Sure that if you're purchasing or selling any land, you'll be happy to deal with it. But, Jake, look, before we get into the, the deer hunting topics that we're going to cover today, one thing that we're, we're not going to miss out on, look, hey, I saw – uh, you had a couple of big shares on Facebook with your Jay Gregory video. Yeah, man. Um, I don't even know what to say about that. You know, uh, in the in today's day and age of social media, I guess when you're working hard, you know, to develop your social media platforms, the key word there is to go viral. Isn't that right? And and we've been working on this our our series called The Other Side for several months now and we released it uh, a few weeks ago and it did okay it got some it got some you know viable traffic but yesterday um, Mr. Mark Drury and Matt Drury shared it on the Drury Outdoors Facebook page and it went absolutely insane i mean we were gaining 7000 views every 5 minutes at one at one time and then uh this morning Mr. Ted Nugent, Jay Gregory had contacted um, Ted Nugent, and the Nugent himself uh, shared it on his Facebook page. So now it's growing even more exponentially, and and I think we're somewhere we're somewhere close to 300,000 views now in less than 24 hours. So we've really had a lot of success, and it's been amazing watching this thing grow. And you know, you see other people blow up like that, and you admire it and when it happens, you know, to a project that you've worked hard on, then uh, you know, it just makes you makes you that much more proud of it. It's pretty cool to watch. Well, I was I was watching it yesterday as it was exploding and I you know, I, I believed in what you were doing since the beginning and man, you have really, really it's a really cool concept and you know, I know there's a lot of future plans and a lot of future stories that are out there that you have and you know you're not going to talk about them you've already told us that but you know with what you're doing it's a really cool concept well you know thank you i mean i appreciate the support and you know we're just working hard i think at the end of the day you know if you're successful at something then you're doing something that you love and this is something that i've always you know really not always but have, have for a long time thought about doing I'm just going into the the other side of people and and pulling things out that that really you know develop the drama and the inspiration behind what what people do and where they come from. Because hey, let's face it, at the end of the day, we all put our our pants on and our shirts on the same way. And you know when when someone can relate to everyone else in terms of them just being human and not a celebrity, then you know. Then, then there's a common denominator and it becomes popular, right? Oh yeah, exactly. All right, well, guys, I, I want to tell a quick, just a quick little tidbit before we get into the deer hunting myths that we're going to cover today. You know, Jake and I were talking a couple of months ago, and this happened. This subject that we were talking about it happened to be about waterfowl, and Jake, you did you major in wildlife biology? 
in college. I did. I have a I have a bachelor's of science degree in wildlife biology from Colorado State University. That's what I thought. Well, Jake and I were talking about the vision of a duck, and uh, duck, duck hunting is a specialty of Jake. Jake hunts and films R and T throughout the season. Um, had a really cool video with some guys out in Colorado last week. Anyway, I don't know how the topic of a duck's vision came up, and Jake goes into this long spiel about how a duck can see. And it's a really cool, I mean, really, really interesting. And I said, man, I told Josh, and if you listen to Jake and Josh talk to each other when we all get on the phone together, it's, it's amazing the knowledge that Jake possesses. And I, and I told Josh, I said, Josh, we got to do whatever we can do to get Jake on the podcast with us because he's full of information. So that's that's where we are today, and I'm I'm really happy that Jake has decided to, to join our team and be a host of the show with us. But look, let's start. Hey, Jake, I don't know if you've listened to the past podcast, but this week we covered some duck hunting myths. And today I thought it would be cool to stay on topic into deer hunting, but to talk about some deer hunting myths. And because uh, <laughs> so, there's a lot of them out there. Where do we and, start? <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Where on earth um, do we start? There are probably more myths myths out there than there are truths about deer hunting. And you know, when you start thinking about those myths. Then you start plugging the products in that have been developed over the past 20, 25 years in the hunting industry. You know, a lot of those products that have sold really well and done really well, you know, to to establish careers for some of these uh, manufacturing companies were based around the myths in in deer hunting. I mean, you see, I know one thing that, that me and you talked about a lot uh, or have in the past is, is trail cameras. Um, that's been the that's been the the really the single biggest thing in in my life and really in anybody in the last 10 years that has just exploded um and that is one topic we wanted to talk about today is because i mean number one a trail camera is is, it's a double-edged sword Uh, it can really really make you happy and it can really really frustrate you but the truth is the whole story doesn't always take place in front of the camera. Uh, I know something we were talking about earlier. One of the people, like we were talking a minute ago, the the other side video with Jay Gregory, but uh, but Jay is, is somebody that intensely studies trail cameras and and, and uses them as a tool. But, but uh, you know, so-called myth, whatever it may be, around, you know, people think that, well, I'm going to put a camera out and I'm going to figure out everything that's happening. That's and that's just not not the case uh, so much. Yeah, I think I think you know one of the mistakes people make is that they draw conclusions from their from their camera surveillance. And there's you know there's I mean we could go on and on about this topic because there's so many things to talk about regarding trail cameras and the myths behind them. But you know there's there's two things that I'd like to say. One is my true mentor, who incidentally, I'd like to mention his name. His name is David Barber, um, and he just passed away about a week ago um, from from cancer. But 
one time he told me when when trail cameras when we first first started managing my property in Tennessee, he said, you know, and, and I was, you know, I had fallen into that trap of, of drawing conclusions um, with trail cameras, and and he he looked at me and he goes, look, man, trail cameras tell part of the story, okay, and that's it. They don't tell the whole story, and I held on to that for a long time. It almost made me feel small when he told me that because I realized that that was the truth. And then one day I was having a conversation, this was years ago, with uh, Kyle Weeder, who is the host of Adrenaline Junkies TV. He's a good friend of mine. And we were talking about uh, a big deer that he had uh, monitored in Illinois. And he put this trail camera, he put a fence post up right in the middle of a uh, green cornfield. And there was a very big eight-pointer, like I'm talking, you know, 160s eight-pointer that was coming out in the afternoons. So he was trying to get this uh, deer on camera, and he found his, you know, he cut his tracks that were consistently going through this cornfield. So he put a fence post up, and he put a trail camera on it. He got, that next week, he got one picture of that buck, okay? And he couldn't figure out what happened. You know, uh, I think Don Kiske said at one time a long time ago, um, you know, every deer's got a different personality and they all react different. Some when, when before infrared, you know, some deer didn't like flashes. Um, some deer don't like infrared lights because they can see it. And so getting back to Kyle's story, he couldn't figure out what happened to that buck. Well, he built a tower stand on the edge of the field about 300 yards away he got in it one afternoon late this was in late august uh maybe a month and a half after you know he thought his deer disappeared and he watched that buck come out to the edge of the cornfield he walked straight down that trail through the cornfield and got within 30 yards of that trail camera and did a half moon a half circle around that trail camera got back on the trail and kept going so what happened was that deer was walking around he didn't like he didn't like the trail camera, so he walked around it. And I think the point of that, the moral of that story is, you know, my my mentor David Barber was right. Um, so every deer acts differently, and you know, you're only getting part of the story. That and that's it. And you know, one time um, I had done something similar, except that I didn't have a specific deer I was trying to to get on camera, but I had a a very very high traffic area um and uh well, well there was a beaver dam there and they were crossing the creek and i mean they were just the deer were just wearing it out so i said well look this beaver dam already had we already had a, a hang on there about 25 yards from that, that beaver dam and i said look i'm gonna you know see what's coming across well i put the camera there a week 10 days later check it and had like three pictures and i said no this is not right you know it's not right batteries must have died or something well they wasn't they just there wasn't many deer on it um so I was like, well, dang, okay, well, I'm going to hunt in there. Well, I went in there and hunted, and the first morning I hunted in there, the, now, that crossing is, is 26 yards from that stand, exactly. That camera is exactly, you know, 24 yards. I can tell you that exactly. And that morning I saw 11 deer there. Every one of those deer were within bow range, were within 40 yards of me and of that camera at some point, but not a single deer got his picture taken. So, so that just, you know, so, you know, I was right. It's a great area to hunt, but, you know, the, the, you know, the deal was, was, you know, the, something about that camera, um, or, you know, just, you know, by chance, nothing walked within the, 
you know, the view, the view of that camera. And, um, and a lot of people put a lot of, a lot of faith in them and I can understand why, but you know, but at the same time, you know, you can go check a camera and think, well, dang, there's no reason for me to be hunting there. There's nothing, there's nothing coming through there. Um, and that, to me, I see that a lot in people who become reliant on, or, or they they use it more as a as a as a crutch, you know, more or less. Uh, you know, I have to have a camera. I have to hunt by what I have on camera, not by what I actually what I the, the knowledge that that you actually possess as a as a woodsman. Um, you know, that's but that that's interesting that he had that that big deer. Uh, he was still using the same the same trail. He was just going just enough out of the way of something that bothered him. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of mm-hmm. funny that he saw that. How often does how often, hey, you, how often, how often does that happen? I mean, both of y'all are great deer hunters, but I mean, how often does that happen that it it throws the deer off all like the that? Time. Uh, yeah, I think all it the happens time. all the time. Like, yeah, you know, after that property. one morning. No, that's right. After that one morning when I when I watched, I mean, every one of those deer. Like I said, we're within easy bow range of me, and we're well within, the, I mean, the same distance of that camera, and not a single one got their picture taken. That was a, a real light bulb moment for me. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you can you can put a camera in as good a spot as you want, but you know, like like Jack said, every deer is different. Um, some deer I'll get pictures of over and over and over again, but in every single picture they're looking at the camera every time. Um, you know, they they just become comfortable with it, I guess. Uh, you know, and some deer seem like it's not there at all. And then again, one really cool thing that, that with trail cameras that's been a lot of fun to have the last few years since it came out is the video aspect because you really see how a deer reacts to it. Um, you know, they walk up there and and uh they can they, they they can see that infrared or whatever and they jump a little and then they may calm down. Some of them take off running. And before then, when you only got still pictures, you might just think, oh, that deer came running by. Or, oh, that deer, you know, you, you're trying to draw conclusions on something else happening. And, um, you know, the truth is, is that that camera is, I mean, if you walked through your house tonight, Rocky, and there was a camera on on the post of the bar, you'd think something about it. Or you might not. I don't I don't know. <laughs> you see, it's just, I it would. just depends. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, like, you know. Uh John helped the picture. John helped the picture. Especially if you walked in your underwear. Yeah, yeah see? So it'd, be, it'd be a shocking image. It'd be a shocking uh, experience for you. So, uh, and then you found but, out it was a live feed of Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Jake. There's, there's a... There's three or four episodes. A, I mean, there's some myths behind that. You know. that we can that we can go into on trail cameras, but um, but I know Rocky had a had a list yeah. of things to cover. So for no, now, I mean, that we'll, was, we'll, we'll, yeah, uh, I mean that that was one of them. I mean, talking about the myths behind trail cams, and that that was one of the topics that that Jake and I, well, in a group message, we kind of talked about. But one of the ones that I'm going to surprise y'all with, you know, you always hear. Want to spike? Always a spike. Shoot the spikes. So, what is your thoughts on that? Me personally, I mean, you know, I don't even pay any attention to that anymore because, I mean, I've never followed a, I've never followed a spike for years that I know of because, you know, a a spike in its first year of 
of carrying antlers, you know, if he's a, a, a six-pointer as a two-and-a-half-year-old or a four-pointer, how do you know what deer it was unless you've got some sort of body, you know, body mark on him that, that tells you that's exactly, you know, the same deer. So I've never really followed one, but I have read, you know, articles in Deer Hunt, Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine and, you know, talk to talk to my friends and colleagues in the deer hunting industry about that and you know it's just it's just not true because I mean how many how many four and a half year old spikes do you see walking around? <laughs> I mean, that's the first yeah, no, giveaway right there. Yeah, that's right. And you know, and I was um I was telling Rocky earlier today in in all the years of, of, of hunting and everything, uh there was one deer that we got on camera, of course but we got on camera for three years in a row. Um, and he was always, I mean, I guess technically, legally, he'd be a four-point. He had brow time. But that's what he was every year. He just kept getting bigger and bigger. I mean, his main beams would be longer. But but that is the only one in all of the pictures that we've ever gotten that the neighbor, I mean, we share, we share pictures with the neighbors and friends and everything. That's the only one. But so, you know, I don't... I mean, yeah, I guess obviously he was, you know, maybe a quote unquote spike his whole life. I ended up finding him dead of old age, but I mean, I found, you know, sheds from, you know, a deer's first year and, and, and seen deer in their first year be a six point. So does that, does that spike argument, does it follow him too? He's only going to be a six point or he's only going to be a four, you know, so I don't, you know, with the, I can say that with the exception of that one deer. Uh, and, and I don't, I've never, ever fallen into the belief of once a spike, always a spike. I just, well, I'll tell you this. One of the cool things that I saw, and it's been a couple of months ago, somebody, a wildlife biologist followed a deer. And I guess it was kind of like what Jake's talking about, had a body marking on it and got pictures yeah, I, of this deer from beginning of its life until mm-hmm. it lived to be nine and a half years old. The deer, the first mm-hmm. year, first set of horns that it had, it was a spike. The second year, I want to say it was a six or a small, small eight point. The third year, it was touching on one, 140, 150. And the next year, it was Boone and Crockett. So definitely a myth. I think that you know, was, uh, was it Charles Alsheim? Alsheim? May have been. It's a cool the, video. Yeah, yeah, that's probably one of the most revealing and and uh most visible examples of you know killing that myth uh be, that being a myth buster um and i and i recall the exact video and, and photo journal of that exact same study that you're talking about rocky no i mean go i mean every deer is every deer is different um but but you know i, I just never i've never never believed that for a second um you know, and the the term cowhorn spike has been extremely watered down, and now it's being applied to, you know, people will see a, you know, a deer with its first set of antlers, and you know, have six inch long spikes. Like, oh, that's a cowhorn spike. Well, no, no, it's not. You know, you, you I don't. It's frustrating. Um, you know, and there's, you know, here in Mississippi, there's spike permits you can get. I know plenty of landowners that do it, and. What that is is, you know, you get so many of those permits, and you can kill up to that many you know, spikes per year without it going toward your limit. 
for for you know quote management purposes. But I don't I don't understand it because it's going to be really hard to find a year and a half old deer that's already a you know a beautiful eight point or something. I mean so so I, I don't understand the logic behind it at all. Do you think about you know once you go through the five stages of of being a hunter like we've talked about before, when you enter the fourth or fifth stage of your hunting career, you start thinking about let's say you're a trophy hunter. Well, you know, you want to kill a bigger deer and a bigger deer and a bigger deer. And after that, I think, at least, you know, from my perspective, it's really about harvesting the oldest deer and the most and the rarest deer, the most unique, because at the end of the day, that's what a giant trophy is. It's a deer that no one else, you know, it's bigger or different than everyone else has ever killed. So you're more proud of it. And if you think about if a spike were a spike, you know, his entire life, um, even if it was just one rare occasion, that might actually be if you killed a five or six and a half year old spike that had 17 to 20 or 25 inch main beams, that would probably be the rarest trophy on your wall. And I remember one time being curious about it because a friend of mine from Mississippi of all places um, was telling me about the state record or maybe the world record spike and I looked it up on Google and if I recall I, I don't remember so don't quote me on this or call me a liar but I think it was a spike that had 26 inch main beams with no tines on it and how how cool would that be if you saw a deer like that you, you know that's something that me and you've talked about a lot before is is how cool it would be to have a you know a fully mature deer of every uh you know spike Four point, six point, because of the rarity exactly. of it. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. and that's why I have that. Uh, um, you know, I have the skull of that big. And you know, like I said, legally he does have really short brow time, so you know, legally he would be a four point. I call him a spike just because you know he's got twenty one and a half inch main beams and nothing wow. on it except for you know, except for little bitty, um, you know, brow tines. But uh, but no, that's why it's so cool to me because uh, a few years ago. Uh, you know, I killed a you know eight and a half year old deer that was a six point. Um, that's what he was. Now, and he was he was huge. Uh, so it was really cool to have have those two. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, I've got them both both skull mounted. But for that reason, it was a, it was a rarity. Um, you yeah, know, and as it much was, a genetic and, freak as a, a twenty twenty three pointer is. You that's know, that's right. You know, talking about that spike, I'm I'm actually about to send you guys a picture because I'm I'm gonna take a picture real quick while we're recording this of of the skull. But but no, we, you know we actually hunted that that deer because of his age, because he was a rarity, like we talked about. I mean, he was he was a trophy, and um, you know just a but he he was just a genetic freak. It was just the you know, like you said, you know, would be the equivalent of a 23, 24 pointer. He just he had crazy genes, and uh, you know, and that's and that is what he was, with the exception of that deer. That's the only one I've ever seen that way. Um, and then, you know, we found him, found him dead, looking for sheds one year, uh, and he had died of old age. I mean, nothing wrong with him at all. He just, he just died. Uh, so I think that, but the, it was really cool. probably saved his life. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, in, in a lot. Well, until the, especially that last year, um, and then that last year when I started getting pictures of him, and he was he was so big, uh, I mean, so big, just body and everything, and he was a dominant deer. Um, you know, you think but, about that, Josh, and you figure 
if 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 hunters if other hunters saw him or you guys saw him and you guys passed him because he wasn't you know particularly what you wanted to harvest then his rack did save his life and at the end of the day he might have been an ugly duckling but you know he could thank his rack for getting him through those eight or nine years of life and he probably got to breed more than most bucks do most giant bucks because you guys probably killed the bigger ones <laughs> yeah well and and you know one thing too was somebody when we um when we found him or whatever of course I, you know i sent some buddies my pictures you know pictures of him or whatever and said you know we found that deer he was eight and a half years old and everything and they said, well, well, that's not good. He lived that long and he bred. He about to have spikes running around everywhere. Well, I can say, I mean, that's been four years ago, and we've yet to see any more spikes his size. So, oh. That's a whole other myth, too, man. I've been, me and Jay, Gregory, have been talking about that one a lot about, you know, the doe, the dope, and this is, this is a myth, the doe's genetics have more to do with the bucks that the doe kicks out than the buck that she bred with does. And that's been proven scientifically through you know, semen transfers. Or, that was, that was the next, next, the that next was topic next was. One. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I Rocky had Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the reason that uh, the two closest animals you know, uh, I was telling Josh this this morning, are, are goats and deer. Now, as crazy as this may sound, we breed goats for our children to show in 4-H. Well, mm-hmm. you know, our kids right now are showing does. They're not old enough to show the, the male what they call weathers. And so right now we're breeding to get does. But... The father has the most to do with the does, and the mother actually has the most to do with the the weathers or bucks that you produce. Hmm. It's, I That's always heard it's the same, and I've always heard it was the same in deer. Mm-hmm. Jay, Jay and Gregory and I were just talking about that the other night. I think he was talking to Mark Drury about it. So, um, you know, there's definitely validity to that. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to you know. You always hear people say, "Oh, I got, I've got some big bucks on my place, so I know I'm going to produce some some big ones." No, man, if if your doe doesn't have the genetics, then probably not. I have, I have to tell you this real quick, if I can, if I can be quick. I have a friend who had um, a, a, a white-tailed doe. She had uh, she had gotten run over by a four-wheeler. And someone, lo and behold, brought as a fawn and brought the fawn over to my friend's house. And he started bottle feeding her. And I don't know if I should be saying this. I don't know how legal it was. But, um, you know, he started bottle feeding her. And, she's, you know, she, she imprinted on human, um, on human care. And she became their pet. She hung out in the yard. And she lived with them in their yard uh, in the woods adjacent to the yard for eight years. Her name was Daisy, and she had uh, she would go out and breed, and she had had she had twin twin fawns every single spring for eight years, or I'm sorry, seven years, and every set of twins that she had were bucks, twin bucks, every single year. This is a fact, and each time 
uh, those, uh, it was interesting because after four years, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to get to watch these, uh, these deer grow up. And, um, my friend had built an open ended high fence area in his backyard and let it grow up into thickets and had dug a small pond and just provided everything that she needed to raise her fawns and have some protection from predation as well. So anyhow, each year it was interesting how you could go to the pen in the spring and, you know, the doe would come up to you and the fawns would come up and let you pet them. Then you'd see the one-and-a-half-year-old bucks would still be in the same area. They would come up to you and let you pet them. The two-and-a-half-year-olds, they'd let you get within 10 or 15 yards, but that's it. Then you'd look back there, and you'd see the three-and-a-half-year-olds. They wouldn't get within 30 or 40 yards of you, and you'd never see the other the other bucks. The, you know, they just they ranged, and they took off eventually. And then one, uh, I think the last, the last winter, the last fall, he had – Daisy, he actually put a front on on the on, he put a gate on this this area, and because he wanted to see what she would do during the rut if if she didn't have uh, free ranging capabilities, so she she stayed in the pen. There were there were bucks that came up to the to the fence and during the rut and and all that. And finally, after the rut was over, this was like January the first of that 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 same winter. He opened the gate, let Daisy out. She ran off. She came back an hour later, one hour later, and that spring she had uh, she had twin bucks. So you know, there's another myth about you hear. I mean, we could go on and on about <laughs> no, myths about wow. about how long the rut lasts, what the trickle rut is, you know, how the moon affects the rut. The rut, the rut, the rut, the rut, and she walked out there for one hour in January, got bred, um, conceived twins, and dropped them that spring. So, you know, nothing surprises us anymore. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. And but I will say that's that's the kind of doe I would prefer to have on my property. If I was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's consistently uh, year after year having twin bucks. But no, I mean that that that's just. Yeah, the the rut is um, uh, it's a myth a in itself. Whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey Jake, I think I know a guy that uh that has a deer that wanders up in his yard sometimes. You know the guy I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy because there's a there's a deer in a certain town that just wanders around the town and walks up on people's porches. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's wild. <laughs> it's, it's a wild <laughs> phenomenon. Uh, hey, hey, look, I want to talk about one real quick, and this this will be the last one we talked about today. But you know, I can remember being a kid. Okay, this is I grew up deer hunting with my dad. That was that was our time together. Um, never did really much duck hunting until I got on up into high school and college, but I could spend a lot of days in the woods with my dad deer hunting, but I can remember walking through the woods and seeing rubs. Okay. And I can remember my dad saying, boy, look at the size of that tree, that rubs on, it must be a monster. Or you'd see one on a little bitty tree. Oh, that's a little bitty deer right there. So, does the rub and the size of the tree determine the size of the deer? I can I can 
I think I can speak for, I'll just speak for myself, but, you know, there's absolutely zero validity to that myth. And, you know, there's so many different kinds of rubs and, you know, you start looking at, you, you start looking around or if you sit in a tree long enough, you might see a community rub that's on a very large tree. I was, I was wondering if, I was wondering if you would use that, that terminology because a lot of people are going to be going, wait, 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 community, you mean more than one, more than one does this? Uh, yeah, that's, uh. <laughs> Yeah, the same way with the scrape, but but anyway, finish finish your thought. Yeah, so you know, I mean, when you're when you're around a bedding area, that's when you're going to find a lot of little bitty rubs all over little bitty trees because a, you know, when a buck a buck or a group of bachelor group of bucks establishes a bedding area, when they start getting hard horned, you know, they'll they'll t- take their nap or whatever, and then get up, you know, take a leak get a drink of water, eat some leaves, do some browsing or whatever, and then just start rubbing trees when they start getting aggressive. And you've seen them. How many times have you seen, you know, a big buck grab a a whip-sized tree sapling, grab it and and wrap it up in his antlers and just, you know, rub his head up and down trying to shred that little tree out of the ground, basically, you know, through aggression. And then, you know, you've you've even got fence posts where deer walk up to an edge of a field in the staging area, start rubbing a fence post. He might lick it, rub his orbital glands on it, and do all kinds of stuff around it, maybe even make a scrape around it. Then all of a sudden, another buck walks up to it, and he starts rubbing it. You know, So in, in we're talking about a, maybe a hedgewood fence post or something, or even a 6-inch or an 8-inch diameter tree where you know 12 different bucks rub it on a daily basis or on a you know weekly basis or whatever it is so i definitely don't buy into the size of the rub determining the size of a deer however i will say that i think that it's more likely that if you find a fresh rub on a big tree say a big you know ankle size cedar tree or um, out here, uh, Russian olive or something like that, where if it's fresh and it's big, I think uh, and closer to the late pre-rut stages where deer are really aggressive and really building those neck muscles for fighting purposes, I think that you know you're probably more likely to establish the fact that a rub like that is more associated to a bigger, more mature deer. Wow, I, I've never heard. You know, I may sound dumb in saying this, but I, I never heard a buck trying to build up his neck muscles for fighting purposes. Oh yeah, well you you know the old <laughs> again the old myth about deer with swollen necks. Um, I mean, you think about how many trees a, a buck, especially a mature buck, has rubbed from the day he dropped his velvet, which is. A whole other conversation. I I remember filming a deer, a whitetail in Idaho on the Lemhi River Valley. I was up on this hillside and I saw this big eight pointer come out. He was in full velvet. He walked over to this clump of trees, and there's probably eight or ten uh, trees in this cluster. They were about you know a half inch to an inch and a half thick in diameter, growing in this cluster. He started rubbing his antlers on it, his velvet antlers. And his his ant his velvet started peeling off, and as it was drooping in front of his face, 
um, he was eating it. He ate every single, and he was actually grabbing the velvet off the tree limbs that were left hanging in this tree and eating it, um, assuming that there's, you know, that blood and the, the, the calcium and nutritional values in those veins that were left in, in the velvet were high in nutrient and content. So, um, you know, he was eating, and I've seen that in trail cameras as well. So, uh, what was I saying? What was I saying? What, were you, what, were you, what did you ask me about? About the exercising <laughs> of the neck muscles. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you think about from the, the moment a deer drops his velvet, he starts becoming more aggressive because he's hard-horned. How many trees he's rubbed from, say, let's just call it September the 1st up until Halloween Day. That's That's, what, that's two months, you know, eight weeks of rubbing trees every day and if you worked out if you worked your neck muscles out every single day for two months your neck would look like a a buck and rut as well and um, that's i think that's one of those myths as well i mean what else would explain a swollen neck on a deer just in the the conversation last 20 minutes we have opened countless doors for topics in the direction that this this, this whole podcast is going. Um but uh, uh I just I was just sitting here trying to just think of everything that uh we're just have to go back and make a list out of this podcast on you know, we're just gonna yeah. take one topic at a time and and go through them and you know, two years later we'll get to the end of the list. But but it's uh, yeah, we'll all be we'll be old in our eighties and we'll still be yeah. talking about the same that, thing. That's now. right. That's right. You know, the, you know the thing about it is Jake has forgotten more than I, I'm going to say more than than I would ever know. But Josh, you know, Josh is an avid deer hunter, but it's unreal the knowledge this guy possesses about deer. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, and it, that, Which, yeah, that's I think gonna, it's probably just all that downtime sitting in trees thinking about what you just saw and trying to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, and trying to process it, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then about the time you, you draw a conclusion, you look up and something happens and you realize you were, you were wrong and you have to start over. I've been there. Totally, totally. <laughs> there's, more, there's more productivity in being wrong than there is in being right. <laughs> all right, well, guys, we're running short on time. Josh, any parting thoughts to the first on the X Deer podcast? No, I mean I'm uh, like I said. Look, this is going to be a lot of fun uh, having Jake on here. This it's going to be a fun crowd. The the guest hosts that are going to be joining us uh, for the deer side of things is, I mean the it, it's an it's an awesome list. I'm ready to start start getting some of these guys on and gals on. I will say that. Um, but man, these these conversations just uh, you know they they're a lot of fun to have. And Jake, I couldn't be more happy to have you on here, you know, with us to to experience it all. Well, thank you guys, uh, really from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for having me, and uh, I'm honored to be here. And you know, we could, I mean, who doesn't want to talk about deer 24/7? I, I think that's why it's the number one you know, variable or the number one niche or genre in the hunting industry is whitetail deer hunting. And I think it's because there's so many things that we just, we think we know, but we don't really know that much about them. So, I mean, this is going to go on and on and on. We'll have a ton to talk about. Jay, look, one of the things, I'm going to leave my parting thought is, 
first off, thank you for agreeing to join us on the podcast a couple of days a week to talk deer and as we get into the spring and summer to talk about fishing. Um, I think it's really exciting. It's something that I look forward to learning a lot about. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but you remember the old cartoons with the, the little kid with the dunce hat on? You remember those from the old days? I'm that little kid oh, yeah. in y'all's class. In y'all's classroom, y'all are my teacher, <laughs> and I really, really look forward to to learning from you and Josh. Uh, you know, because you guys are really, really good deer hunters, both of you. But gonna have to wrap this up, guys. I hope you've enjoyed our first edition about talking about deer hunting on the On the X podcast. Um, look forward to having you again, Jake, next week. We'll have you a, another list to talk about, you and Josh. But, uh, but until Ironically, then... Ironically, I think I'll be calling in from the ATA show in Indianapolis. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Just just randomly pick somebody out of the crowd. Don't tell them what you're recording, <laughs> and we'll just we'll quiz them. And uh, no, but that oh, that'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Maybe maybe I'll walk around for a day before I we, before we schedule the conference call, and I'll find the most off the wall new product at the ATA show, and we can talk about it. That now I like that idea. I, I look forward to that. For Josh and Jake and myself, I want to thank you for joining this edition of the On the X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.